Former Wyoming center Graham Ike was reportedly in Spokane this weekend. Could he land with the Zags, and how would that work alongside Anton Watson and Ben Gregg? More on that, Locked on Zags, coming up right after that. You are Locked on Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to give you daily reports through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. Overview of the show today. Again, we are going to bring back Mailbag Monday at some point in the offseason, going to wait till all the craziness dies down because most of the questions are going to be about potential transfer portal targets. And that's what we're talking about pretty much every day here on Locked on Zags, including today. Today, we're going to close out the show talking about NIL and how it is impacting Gonzaga, a topic that many people have have asked about. I'll give you my thoughts on that. We're also going to talk about the three guards that Gonzaga is very closely connected to, including, of course, Ryan Nemhard, who just completed a visit in Spokane. We'll talk Taryn Armstrong, who has Gonzaga in his top four, and Stephen Ashworth from Utah State, who has Gonzaga in his top five. We'll talk about that in the second segment, but first, we're going to talk about Graham Ike. Graham Ike is a center from Wyoming. He was reportedly in Spokane this last weekend, and I want to be very clear to say reportedly because this is anecdotal from people who said they saw him on campus. There was rumors flying everywhere all over the weekend. So I am going to talk about this as if it happened, but I want to be clear. I don't have any official source saying that Graham Ike was in Spokane this past weekend. I do expect him to be a target for Gonzaga in the front court. So regardless, we can talk about who he is, what his history is, and how he might fit in Spokane. So Graham Ike is a six foot nine forward, originally from Aurora, Colorado. Uh, and the height is definitely something we're going to talk about a little bit because he's more like Anton Watson and Ben Gregg than he is like a traditional center. And I do wonder what that might look like from a fit perspective. There's very little doubt that Graham Ike could play at Gonzaga and would play very, very well as a freshman in the 2020-2021 season. He only played 12 games because of injuries. Another thing we're going to talk about with Graham Ike there, in those 12 games, he scored 11.2 points, 5.5 rebounds, shot 61% on two-pointers. So a very efficient player around the rim. Very good score, even as a freshman, even in a small role uh, or a limited season, of course, because of injuries. And then that sophomore year, and that's what has really sold Graham Ike as a potential zag. And for many other high-profile programs who have showed interest or are going to show interest in Graham Ike, it is based off of what he did as a sophomore in that 2021-22 season for Wyoming. 33 games, started every single one of them, played 32 minutes per night. He averaged 19.5 points per game, 9.6 rebounds, 1.3 assists. He did average 3.3 turnovers, so not a super efficient guy with the ball in his hands. But for Wyoming, the Cowboys pretty much just gave him the ball and let him go to work all season long. And I know Wyoming is not a basketball powerhouse, and I know that there might be some people who are, are concerned about that, I suppose, but the Mountain West is a good defensive conference. They have some issues in the NCAA tournament, et cetera, but this is a conference that prides itself primarily on good defense. For a guy to average 19 and a half points at 
Wyoming against most of the very, very good against Boise State, against San Diego State, against Utah State, against all of those programs. For him to go out and average nearly 20, very, very impressive to me. Uh, he did it. His, his two point field goal percentage dropped considerably from those 12 games he played as a freshman to his sophomore year. He still shot 51.5% on twos. It's not elite. You know, Anton Watson, Drew Timmy, those guys have been better than that throughout their careers, but it is also not awful. Uh, he averaged, or he shot 27.5% on three. So again, that's not really an area of his game that that we have really seen crop up in a significant way just yet. Uh, he was a 72% shooter from the free throw line. So at least some some uh, encouragement that if you were to join the team, he would probably be the, the team's, uh, well, second best. I think Ben Gregg is better there, but uh, would be a better free throw shooter than we have seen from Watson and that we saw from Drew Timmy. Uh, as you probably guessed, he did not play last year. That's why we're not talking about those stats. We're talking about his sophomore year numbers because last year he suffered a foot injury before the season, it really tanked Wyoming's entire season. They lost two players to injury uh, and a team that was expected to be a, in competition for at least a top half spot in the Mountain West, maybe uh, in contention to to finish top three and, and make a wild run to get into the NCAA tournament. Instead, they were one of the worst teams in the conference and, and one of the worst uh, Mountain West power seven, I suppose, <laughs> conference teams, especially on the West Coast. They were just really bad last year and not having Graham Ike was a significant part of that. It, it was reported that he nearly returned midseason or during the conference portion of the season. And then he ended up getting shut down instead. That would be a, an obvious question discussion point to have if he was close to returning and Wyoming just said, Hey, we're, we're, we're not in a spot to really contend. We're just going to keep you out and, and not risk injuring you further. That's different than, Hey, your injury is actually a lot worse than we thought or you suffered a setback, or, or whatever it may be. Obviously, Mark Few, coaching staff, whomever, is going to do their due diligence and figure that out. If if there's a, a chance Graham Ike's not going to be healthy, that may not prevent them from recruiting him entirely, but it is certainly something that they're going to want to know uh, in as much detail as possible up front, because... No need, no need to recruit damaged goods unless you have a plan in place of, hey, this is a two-year recruitment. You know, we're, we're going to have him replace Anton Watson after next year, whatever it may be. Maybe there's some some conversations happening there behind the scenes. But uh, until told otherwise, I'm going to assume that Graham Ike is healthy and ready to play next season because he, it sounds like, came pretty close to returning this past year. So now the big question for Ike is what a fit here might look like were he to come to Gonzaga. It's pretty obvious that a guy who averaged nearly 20 and 10 uh, at a pretty high level conference in the Mountain West, obviously there's going to be a spot, but he doesn't fit a lot of what Gonzaga actually needs. And that's where it's a little bit interesting. Let me be clear. I mentioned Anton Watson a handful of times on this show. I am assuming that Anton Watson is going to return, but he may not. He has grad. He finished his four years uh, in, at Gonzaga. He does have the fifth year, of course, for the COVID-19 eligibility rules. Uh, he has not declared for the NBA draft. He has not entered his name in the transfer portal. So by all accounts, that points to him potentially returning. Now, he could just move on and go play professionally overseas. I think if he were to do that, he would declare for the NBA draft because I don't know why on earth he wouldn't. Quite honestly, I've said this multiple times on the show. Those of you who, who are everyday listeners have heard me say this probably four or five times already. I think Anton Watson should absolutely declare for the NBA draft. I think he should come back to Gonzaga, but why wouldn't you declare for the draft? You have, you are allowed to do it up to three times. As far as I know, he has not done it yet. He only has one more year of eligibility. Declare for the draft, go see what they think about you. They're going to tell you, you know, 
probably to extend your outside shooting and be more consistent from there. You know, I'm sure there's other stuff in there that I'm not an NBA scout, so I don't know necessarily, but why not go get that feedback, come back to Gonzaga and then work on those things, develop your game, have a bigger role offensively and see what could happen for you after that. That seems like the most logical path for Anton Watson. Doesn't mean he will do it. Doesn't mean that it's a bad decision. If he doesn't do that, maybe there's other stuff going on for him. I don't know, but for right now, I'm making the assumption that Anton Watson is back. I'm also making the assumption that Ben Gregg is back because I don't see any reason why Ben Gregg would not be back. So Graham Ike's got to fit into a front court situation alongside Anton Watson and Ben Gregg. Basically, all those guys are about 6'9", 6'10". They're all pretty much the same size, and none of them are true bruising centers. Ben Gregg can stretch the floor. That's nice. Neither Watson or Ike seem to do that at a super high level. They're both more efficient low post scorers. And then defensively, Anton Watson is fantastic on that end of the floor. Ben Gregg proved him, himself to be a very useful hustle player, a good rebounder, better at hedging uh, on screens. Still got a little work to do around the rim, and, and that's kind of the issue. Neither Anton Watson or Ben Gregg are rim protectors. And by all accounts, from what we have seen out of Graham Ike, he is not a rim protector either. And I want to be clear that looking at his block per game numbers at Wyoming from a year ago is a really, really baseline knowledge about a player's rim protection. The fact that he's 6'9 and doesn't appear to be incredibly long is, is another indication that he's probably not going to come in and you know challenge for Brandon Clark's or Chet Holmgren's shot blocking record. But I, I think that... There's more to a player than just the numbers they posted at Wyoming in general, obviously. But for, for Ike, I, that's something that I would want the Zags to figure out. Like, what is your impact on this team defensively? Because we were pretty darn good last year offensively, and we have a lot of reason to believe we're going to be pretty good offensively next year. But we need to stop guys from scoring around the rim. We need to gobble up defensive boards, something Graham Ike is very good at. Uh, we need these kind of things. And, and some of the stuff that, Gonzaga seems to really lack in the front court on the current roster are not necessarily skills that Graham Ike has displayed up to this point in his Wyoming career. And I want to be careful to say it that way because it doesn't mean that they're not there. Players can come to Gonzaga, be in a different setup, a different coach, different teammates, different opponents, and skills that maybe hadn't showed up before show up. I've used this example a thousand times. Once again, you everyday people will, will probably know where I'm going with this, but Ryan Woolridge shot like 32% for three at four years at North Texas. And he shot 42% at Gonzaga because his role changed. He was no longer the focal point offensively. He was no longer being guarded by the other team's best player, et cetera, et cetera. Not exactly a perfect comparison for Graham Ike and shot blocking, for example, but it does make you... You have to wonder if some of the skills that he has maybe haven't been displayed uh, at Wyoming up to this point. It'd be interesting to see what that might look like. So we'll keep you updated on Graham Ike as we hear more. If he does commit, of course, we'll have a, a lengthier conversation about him, what this means for the front court, and so on and so forth. Uh, but what I want to talk about now is the guards. We said we, we thought Graham Ike was probably in Spokane this weekend, but we know Ryan Nempard was. So we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about how the Zags are still very plugged in with both Taryn Armstrong and Stephen Ashworth. More on Gonzaga's hunt for guard depth after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. Grand Slams, no-hitters, and double plays are all back, and there is no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. That's because right now, new customers can step up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on, sign up, place your first bet, and get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you do not win. 
Maybe you Zag fans want to bet on Marco Gonzalez to get a win for the Mariners, or perhaps Eli Morgan to snag a save for the Guardian. Shout out Eli Morgan. So don't miss your chance to get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, folks, segment two, Stoney Patton, still Locked on Zags. I want to thank all of you for making Locked on Zags your first listen every day. For you everydayers, this week on the show, we're going to take a look at 2025 Idaho prospect, the Zags offered. We're also going to talk about the transfer portal again, continue to give you updates on that as we learn more. And, of course, we're going to talk continue our season in review series as well. So don't miss it all coming up this week here on Locked on Zags. For today, though, Want to talk about those three guards the Zags are heavily invested in. We'll lead off with Ryan Nembhard because Ryan Nembhard came to Spokane. He was in the house with Mark Few, with the coaching staff, with the players, with his brother, Andrew Nembhard, who just completed a fantastic, extraordinary, jaw-dropping rookie season for the Indiana Pacers. Tremendous stuff from Nembhard on the Pacers. And now Ryan, he's here. He wants to see if maybe this is the path for him. Two years at Creighton, come to Gonzaga, play two years there, go to the NBA, have a dominant rookie season. Heck, it worked for his brother, except at Florida instead of Creighton. Maybe it would work for him here too. He did not commit, at least as I'm recording this on Monday morning at 10 a.m. I waited to record today's show in case we heard some news in the morning. Of course, because I did that, we're probably going to hear news very shortly after this goes live. Such is the life of a podcaster in the middle of Transfer Portal Madness. The belief all along for Ryan Nempart has been that he's going to go to Arizona. That has always been the belief. Of course, Gonzaga has been in consideration. They should be in consideration. They should be a very strong contender. Uh, and I would hope that Ryan Nembhard would consider them very, very closely because of how much success they had with his brother uh, and how much success they've had with point cards just in general. But Arizona has always kind of been the favorite. And him leaving Spokane without committing and going to Tucson to visit Tommy Lloyd's team with his brother, with everybody else in tow, it makes me think that it's most likely that Nembhard is going to end up at Arizona. That is how I felt the day he entered the transfer portal in Creighton. Twitter accounts were blowing up that Tommy Lloyd needs to be investigated for tampering, which incidentally, there's he, he's not. There's not really any rules uh, right now, which is a problem, something that maybe needs to be addressed. We'll talk about that a little bit more in the third segment, but I, I think that's always kind of been the plan. So for me, I, I guess I would caution for Zag fans who are potentially going to see an announcement of Ryan Nembhard committing to Arizona in the next couple of days, that this isn't some indictment on Mark Few. This isn't some indictment on their staff. It's a bummer. Certainly he would have been a fantastic player to land, but it always felt like this is the direction this was going to go. Now there are two other guards right now that the Zags are known to be heavily involved in recruiting two players who have named Gonzaga in their top fives. Uh, and the Zags really need to land one of these two guys, especially if they don't land Nembhard. Uh, the first one is Taron Armstrong. We've talked about him probably three or four different shows up to this point. You can definitely look back in your feed and find some of those for a little bit more of an explanation on him. But quickly, high-level point guard from Cal Baptist, great passer, averaged five assists per game last year. Not a great three-point shooter, 30.5%. Uh, not a great free-throw shooter either, which does ring some alarm bells about his ability to shoot from beyond the arc. I do think that a different role uh, at Gonzaga, more free-flowing offense, less pressure on him uh, from opposing defenses probably is going to help his three-point shooting, but I would be remiss if I didn't say that uh, there's a chance it doesn't. That just might not be an area of his game, but he is such a good distributor. He is such a good passer. He is still a good scorer, even if he's not a three-point shooter. 
he would push Nolan Hickman into more of a combo guard role, which I've mentioned multiple times on this show, I think might be more advantageous for Hickman at this stage in his development to be more of a catch and shoot attack closeouts type of guard rather than trying to facilitate the offense, especially an offense without Drew Timmy anymore. So I think that Taron Armstrong is the best option, the best non-Nemhard option for the Zags. And he has listed Gonzaga in his top four. And it's worth pointing out that some of those teams, I don't want to say they're out of the running anymore, but their situation has changed. Let's put it that way. Of course, Gonzaga is in that top four. Creighton remains in that top four. And they still they still need a point guard. Of course, they lose Ryan Nemhard to the transfer portal. Uh, they are also in the top five for Stephen Ashworth, the player we're going to talk about momentarily. So Creighton or Gonzaga is probably going to maybe land both those guys, maybe land one of those guys each. But if Creighton were to land Ashworth, that would probably take them out of the Taron Armstrong sweet stakes. Uh, Providence is in this conversation. They've made some big moves already. Kim English, the new coach over there, has, has uh, brought in some high-level recruits, kept some recruits from from swinging over to Georgetown where their coach Ed Cooley went. Uh, but most of the additions they have made are forwards. So they're still looking for a point guard. And then there's Xavier. Xavier, I think, I don't want to say they're out of the mix, but they did just add Davian McKnight from Western Kentucky University as a transfer portal addition. Big name guy going to start at point guard for them. I think that probably is enough for Armstrong to maybe go somewhere else. Uh, I don't want to say again, it's a top three between Creighton Providence and Gonzaga, but it definitely helped Gonzaga's odds that Xavier pivoted and added another high-level point guard in the portal instead of Taron Armstrong. Last guy, Stephen Ashworth. Ashworth, like I mentioned, already listed Gonzaga in his top five, his top five for what it is worth. Creighton, we mentioned. Utah State, so returning back to where he was last year. Uh, UW, University of Washington in the mix there. BYU is in the mix. And of course, Gonzaga. Ashworth is LDS. He is a member of the Church of the Latter-day Saints. So the connection to BYU is very obvious. I don't want to just make it make an assumption that that's going to happen. Clearly, Ashworth did not begin his collegiate career at BYU. Uh, it is not a requirement that you go to BYU if you are LDS, but it, it does mean there is a connection. And if Ashworth wants to stay in his home state of Utah, which the fact that Utah State remains on the list could indicate that, BYU would make a ton of sense. They're moving to the Big 12, so for him it would be an opportunity to move up from the Mountain West to a Power 5 conference, get to kind of cut his teeth playing at that level against that caliber of opponent while playing at a school that is in his home state uh, and being around students who have similar religious affiliation of him. It's hard to not see the connection there. Creighton, we already kind of touched on them, certainly could use a player like him alongside Baylor Shireman, Ryan Kalkbrenner, the rest of the squad that they have there. Uh, Utah State, of course, the connection there, very obvious, even if it is a new coach since Ryan Odom took the new job at VCU. And then UW, and UW's in an interesting spot right now because they are reportedly connected to Severe Wheeler from Kentucky, which is a very odd connection in my mind. Uh, Severe Wheeler spent the first two years of his college career at Georgia, last two years at Kentucky, one of the best distributors, facilitators in the game, uh, a decent defensive player, good, good defensive player, but he's undersized. I'm curious how he would look in a zone. I'm curious how he would look in a slower-paced offense like UW's. Uh, but again, UW very active in trying to add guards right now. Ashworth would definitely make some sense based on his three-point shooting, his ability, uh, moving to a Power 5 conference as well. So another player that I think Gonzaga should – I think he's below both Armstrong and Nembhard. I guess I should put it that way, but he would be – a tremendous addition. If the Zags miss on Armstrong, if the Zags miss on Nembhard and the Zags land Stephen Ashworth, I know that there will be some discourse about whether this was their third option, whether why can't they get the guys they want first, et cetera, et cetera. We'll talk some about that in the final segment, but 
I don't want Stephen Ashworth to be viewed as anything less than a tremendous success for the Zags if they land him in the portal. He averaged 16.2 points per game last year, four and a half assists, 1.2 steals. He shot 43 and a half percent from three. He shot 88% from the free throw line in his career at Utah State spanning three seasons. He has taken five three-point attempts per game and nailed them at 41%. This guy is a dead-eye sniper, outside shooter, a very good passer. He would be a really, really good addition for the Zags, even if he may fall below Nembhard and Armstrong on the pecking order. This would be an excellent, excellent addition. Another player that would probably push Hickman into more of a kind of combo guard role. He would take more of a facilitating role. But with him and Venters, if those are your two additions in the kind of backcourt area, yeah, it's hard to replace Julian Strother, Rasir Bolton, potentially Malachi Smith, and everybody else that they need to replace. But, man, you would add some three-point shooting immediately, some very good, very consistent three-point shooting. And that is going to help for an offense that no longer has Drew Timmy to rely on down low. Having more weapons from beyond the arc spaces the floor, gives the guards more room to drive to the basket, do all that stuff. I think this could be a really, really good addition, uh, even if it's not as splashy as the other two. Well, I've teased it a handful of times, so we're going to get into it now. How much of an impact is NIL making on transfer portal decisions, and what does that mean for Gonzaga? We'll close the show on that topic coming up right after this. All right, segment three, Stoney Patton still locked on Zags. We're still talking transfer portal stuff. We're just switching gears a little bit to talk more about NIL and the impact it is having on player decisions. And this is going to be mostly anecdotal for me. I don't have a ton of sources on this. I Nobody really does. It's something that is just kind of, everybody's kind of trying to figure it out at the same time. Uh, part of what spurned this conversation outside of a, a handful of questions from listeners, uh, which I appreciate, uh, is Jesse Edwards. So Jesse Edwards, starting center at Syracuse last year, 14 and a half points, 10 and a half boards, three blocks per game, would have been an extraordinary addition for Gonzaga. I spoke about him, I believe, on Thursday's episode last week of Locked on Zags. But Edwards ended up listing his final three as being Kansas, Gonzaga, and West Virginia. He visited West Virginia over the weekend, committed. He is now joining Bob Huggins' team alongside Kirk Creesa. Uh, very, very nice portal season so far for Bob Huggins. But Edwards spoke about the kind of what went into his decision, and he acknowledged that NIL was a factor. He did not say, he think he specifically said it was a small factor or not a big factor. I don't remember exactly how he phrased it, but he kind of downplayed how important it was while also saying, yes, it was a part of my decision. And he, he bashed Syracuse a little bit. I was going to hesitate on using the word bashed, but that's what he did. He basically said, they're not doing anything. <laughs> they're not doing it. And that is not surprising. Jim Beheim. uh, really kind of let loose about his thoughts on this and said that Miami's buying a team and Pitt's buying a team and all these people are buying teams. And he acknowledged afterwards, well, they're doing it within the rules, which just kind of made it sound like he doesn't agree with the rules. Uh, so Syracuse choosing not to find ways to, to give their players money to help with NIL, to start a collective, whatever they have or have not done over there. Clearly it's impacting them because this, I mean, Jesse Edwards, I think chose to leave for a handful of reasons, but he made it clear that this was part of it. Now, Gonzaga was in the top three here. There are a couple different ways to read that. Maybe it was performative. He always planned to go to West Virginia. He just listed them in his top three. Some people are probably going to choose to believe that. For me, I think that this shows that Gonzaga had some level of a competitive offer. 
I don't think Jesse Edwards looked at the dollar amount that West Virginia was offering him, the dollar amount that Kansas was offering him, the dollar amount that Gonzaga was offering him and said, this one's the highest. This is what I'm going to pick. I almost guarantee you that's not what happened. Did it factor in? Yeah, he said so. He said so. But I just I, I, I think there's this belief by some in the fan base that Gonzaga is so far behind other big name programs that they just don't have a chance of landing any remotely notable transfer portal players because of that. And I just don't think that that is true. I just don't think it's true for a couple of reasons. One, yeah, I don't think Gonzaga has the money that Duke or Arkansas or Kentucky have, but the, the belief that they just don't have any money or have very, very little or way less than it's just not true. We've heard, I mean, I've heard reports Players who have talked to me, coaches who have talked to me, parents who have talked to me have said, yeah, you know, players got offered cars. They got offered large sums of money uh, and they, you know, they chose to not come here because of this or because of this. Like it's not it's not driving as many decisions as I think people believe that it is. It's definitely driving decisions for some of the biggest name players. Hunter Dickinson, for example, I don't think there was ever a significantly serious chance that he was going to come to Gonzaga because he is kind of views himself in the Drew Timmy mold, in the Trace Jackson Davis mold, Oscar Shibway mode, Kofi Coburn, whoever you want to talk about of high level college players who aren't going to make it in the NBA because their skill set doesn't match the modern NBA. We've talked about this a bunch of times on the show. So it makes sense for those players to be like, well, I can make potentially six figures or more, seven figures, I should say, seven, I can make seven figures in college for two years, potentially, and then go play, maybe play in the G League, maybe sniff the NBA, maybe go play overseas, whatever it may be. But why not capitalize on my best years as a basketball player at the level that I can make the most money? And I say, hell yeah to that. That's what Hunter Dickinson should do, should do. Is Gonzaga going to pay as much as even schools like Maryland and Georgetown, who are who are kind of his top contention right now, probably not. Probably not. Certainly not as much as Kentucky would if Shibway does leave and they need to replace him with Dickinson, which I think if Shibway does bounce, I think that that happens immediately. I think Dickinson is all of a sudden a wildcat and it happens real quick. But those are not, that's a small percentage of players. It's not the, the majority. The majority are looking for a better fit. They're looking for an NBA opportunity. They're looking for something that will help them expand their game, play better, play against higher level opponents, potentially play at the next level. Does the money matter? Yeah, to some extent, but I just don't think that, I don't think it matters as much as people think that it does. And I don't think Gonzaga is as far behind other teams as people think that they are. Does that mean that they aren't going to get priced out of certain players? No, of course they are. They already have. It has happened multiple times. Um, and you could argue it may have been the case with Jesse Edwards. I don't know how much that was the end decision for him, whether he just liked West Virginia better, liked the coaching staff better, liked the fit there. I don't know. There's a lot of things. It's a good fit for him at West Virginia. It really is. The way Bob Huggins treats and uses centers, it's a good fit. So is Gonzaga. There's no debate there. Look what they've done with their back-to-the-basket centers in the past. But it's not shocking that you know, Gonzaga is not always the best fit for every player. And it's not always going to come down to money when that doesn't work out. The last thing I want to say on this Gonzaga's ability to continue to be ahead of the curve in terms of how to add and supplement rosters and build talent has been jaw dropping in the Mark few era. And he gets credit for a lot of things, but I think he deserves so much credit for his ability to consistently recognize the best ways to build talented rosters before everybody else does. 
Mark Few and their staff was in on international players before it was trendy, before it was cool. JP Batista, Roni Turioff, two prime examples from over 15 years ago who were international players that, you know, it hadn't been done all that often. And then Gonzaga got really in on the sit-out transfer. Kelly Olenek, of course, was a sit-out transfer who didn't actually transfer. He just redshirted. Uh, but they, once they kind of developed that pipeline, Kyle Wilcher comes into town. Brandon Clark comes into town. Nigel Williams-Goss comes into town. Jonathan Williams comes into town. They build this juggernaut based on recruiting players who have to sit out a year and they grow and they develop and they get better and then they come in and they dominate. And then... Gonzaga figured out the grad transfer market well before anybody else did. Oh, you you can transfer and play right away? We want you. That's how they get Byron Wesley out of USC. That's how they get Jordan Matthews out of Cal. That's how they get Geno Crandall. That's how they get Aaron Cook. They have figured out this recipe for bringing players in who can play right away, who can immediately fill a role. Like those guys didn't come and develop behind the scenes and then blossom into superstars. They came in immediately with a role to fill and filled it instantly. Zach saw Byron Wesley and said, you can come in and be our starting three right now. And he did. Jordan Matthews had one of the top five biggest shots in program history. Gino Crandall suffered some injuries. Aaron Cook's role changed a little bit because he, uh, because Andrew Nimpard got eligible at the last minute, but those guys were brought in to fill a specific role. And Mark Few's ability to recognize that that is a way to instantly supplant your roster with talent that you don't need to develop, that you don't need to spend a lot of time hoping they become the player you want them to be. You know that they're already that player. And then now the Zags have already pivoted back to being aggressive on the international market. A fear many people had when Tommy Lloyd left that they wouldn't be able to do that. But you have Yo, you have Tui both coming in from South Korea and Australia, respectively, two guys who are expected to be big-time players in this program. Whether right away or not remains to be seen. But this staff has continued to find ways to build talented rosters while kind of, I mean, for lack of a better term, when everybody else zigs, They zag. I know it's cheesy. I know it's cheesy, but that's what they do. They have found ways to build talented rosters, despite not necessarily going the same way as everybody else, not spending as much money, not signing the highest level recruits. They've done that too. They dabbled in that with Jalen Suggs and with Chet Holmgren and and Hunter Salas. And so, but for the most part, they have built their rosters a little bit differently. They have found kind of different avenues to be successful. And yes, the NIL and the transfer portal are two monstrous changes that happened at the same time. And you can tell based on how many players have left this year. You can tell based on some of Mark Few's comments. You can tell based on just the team in in itself that, that they're still figuring this out. Everybody is. Everybody is still figuring this out. But if I had to put my faith in a coach to figure out how to still build a talented roster in this era, even if they are at a slight disadvantage financially, I'm putting all my money in Mark Few because he has done it for 23 years and I don't have any reason to believe that he's not going to continue to do so. All right, that's a great note to end it on. So we're going to call it there today. Plenty more coming your way this week. Again, continued talk about transfer portal targets, about the season in review episodes. We'll talk some NBA draft stuff as well. Also check out the Locked On College Basketball Podcast if you have not done so yet as myself, my co-host Isaac Shade of Locked On Tar Heels talking five days a week, all things college hoops throughout the landscape. You can find it on YouTube or wherever you get podcasts. All right. Thank you all for listening. And of course, as always, go Zags.